Welcome to the You Can Man Podcast, episode 104. I'm your host, Tim, and on this week's show, Burning the Ships, a startup journey two years in. Welcome back, guys, to the You Can Man podcast, where we believe what one man can do, you can do as well, but you got to have help from your friends and the proper know-how. Really looking forward to this show. Uh, I had my good friend Drew Schultens on the show way back March of 2020, so last year, right as COVID was ramping up, and Drew runs a fintech startup company called Oinkching, and I've got him back on to give a follow-up, but I also have one of his business partners and lead developers, Ted Waller, on the show with us. So guys, uh, say hello. They're in studio, world headquarters, you can, man, world headquarters here. Say hello, Ted. Hey, how's it going? Andrew. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> so <laughs> like you can answer. Yeah, we we titled this show Burn the Ships because that's kind of what these guys are feeling. Uh, Drew is in the process of about almost two and a half years really since leaving his corporate gig and burning the ships, if you will. And Ted joined the team about the time that I actually recorded the uh, last show, about March. Uh, is that correct, Ted? Or is it a couple months after that? I don't remember. Uh, it was in April. It was about two weeks before my son was born that I got laid off from my job. That's right. Uh, okay. They're very understanding. Yes. And <laughs> I actually connected uh, Drew and Ted together. And we're going to get into how, why, why Drew had to hire uh, Ted, because he already had a developer, but uh, that developer didn't quite work out so well. And so we're going to talk about that as well. If you guys are just joining the UK Man podcast, and maybe you read our description, you're like, oh, okay, I thought this was like, do it yourself, like home renovation stuff. And it is, a lot of it is. You know, our last show, we just had a lumber expert on and so another big part of what we talk about is entrepreneurship. So when we say you can, man, we're saying you can renovate your house and you can do a startup business and you can do all of these things. And it's really a uh, process of lifelong learning is a, a big thing of what you can, man, is about. And so I find this interesting uh, talking to Drew about his startup company and how difficult it is and all of that. So I wanted to have him back on to talk about, well, where you at now in this process? So Drew, I, I know that some people probably didn't listen to the last one from way back in March. And so what in the world is oink? Because it sounds really weird. And I don't, if I just heard that, I'd be like, what in the world is that? Yeah, that's the point. It's like hearing Yahoo from the first time. You're like, what is Yahoo? That's kind of the point is uh, to make it stick in your brain. Oinching is a financial literacy platform for adults. And so the idea behind it is adult brains work and learn totally differently than kid brains. And there's this concept in the world that's like, oh, if only I had known about money sooner, somehow I would have made better life choices. Right. But the reality is you didn't have the incentive to learn sooner. When you were in high school, you didn't know. The reality is, is your incentive to learn about money happens later in life. And so we've built the platform to learn about that later in life. We bring in banks and credit unions along with the ride so they can help support you in your process. And they make some of the content free. 
And uh, it's, and that's it the real twist to what you're doing because there are you know people listening. They're like, well, you know, there's financial education out there, but you've got a, a certain twist to it yeah. that hasn't really been done yet. There's a couple twists. I, there's a couple innovations in the Oinching uh, business business model and platform that are are totally unique. And so people say, well, you know, who are your competitors? Ah, that's, that's I mean, there are people doing financial literacy, but there's there's really none doing it quite like us. There's a twist around human psychology and your the way that your brain functions. There's a twist around the platform. But there's a big twist also that in bringing in the banks and credit unions, we provide a partner along with you in this journey who can actually help you do the things that that this is all kind of natural anyway for. And so that that creates not only a partner for the consumer, but then scale. And that's important. You know, how do people hear about this? How do they get on the platform? How do we drive the costs lower? The more people we have on the platform, the cheaper the, the everything is for everybody. So there's a lot of kind of a, it's a three-way trade at the end of the day uh, on Oinching. And uh, it's Listen, we we have gotten it when we – March 2020 was a different world, right? Yeah. So that's what I was going to ask an you. Idea. Let, let's go back a little bit further than March 2021. We recorded the last podcast and talked to us briefly about your corporate gig that you had before yep. and what led you uh, – just real briefly, because I know we talked about it on the last podcast, but just kind of catch our listeners up – where you were before starting the startup and yeah. that process. I'm going way back now. I'm uh, using long-term memory function to get this. I wore a pair of slacks and a collared shirt the other day, and my wife was like, oh, you look so nice. I haven't seen you in a pair of slacks and a collared shirt in years. <laughs> Sorry, honey. It's hoodies and jeans now. Um, That's right. I was with Equifax for 12 years, and I did all sorts of stuff at Equifax. Started off in sales, went into strategic pricing and strategy, and 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 then into master data management and IT and accounting and finance, and then back into strategy. It was a wild ride, a lot of great connections and lessons learned, but um, but ultimately, I got towards the end, I got higher up in the chain, and I started to realize, I, I don't know if the corporate life is, is for me. I'm, maybe I'm too honest. <laughs> I didn't always want to uh, repeat the corporate line, and, and uh, it, I was burning out pretty pretty hard. And so I wanted to try something else. And we, I had this idea for Oinching. My, my wife named it. And I thought there was a market opportunity. And I did research, ton of research before I left, two years of research uh, before I ever left Equifax. But when I left, I had a pretty good idea. And actually, that idea that I left with is still the idea. Very little has changed. I've learned some things along the way. But the idea is still the same uh, in its in its core DNA as when I left And you Equifax. pitched it to them, didn't you? I did pitch that to them. I hired an IP lawyer, secured myself, made sure everything was good to go. And when Ted says them, he means Equifax. Yeah, I did. I pitched them because I thought there was a play for them. I still think there's a play for them. You know, one of the things we want to do on the platform is generate data that can help consumers get better credit, credit scores, credit outcomes, fraud and identity protection. Uh, there's still that play out there in the world, but we are going to develop that a little bit further before we come back to the credit bureaus and, and lay it at their feet. But um, they would have had a, a real difficulty bringing in this whole thing. So uh, it, it worked out for the best ultimately, and and I like where we're at. And, and now we got a lot more freedom and a lot more uh, potential and opportunity out on our own than we would have internally. Right. Kind of give our listeners an idea of uh, why in the world you'd be bringing credit bureaus and stuff like that. It just has everything to do with all the data that yeah. could be collected when you're teaching people about financial literacy and the outcomes of that. Yeah. So listen, it's 2021. So this is something you need to put into your heart of hearts. And that is this. If you don't pay for the product, you are the product. So you don't pay for Facebook because Facebook is monetizing you. Right. I, I Have you guys heard of this? Uh, it's called a uh, pace line. It's like if you work out a certain amount of uh, minutes during the week or something like that, then they give you money. 
right? But really, they're just collecting all this data yeah. on you. So it's like, I'll get like basically like a dollar a week or something off this thing. I don't care, really. You know, I know they're tracking what you, I'm doing and all this kind of stuff. Right. Uh, <laughs> but it was interesting because I was thinking, I wonder what they're making off of me. Uh, now you got it. <laughs> yeah, it's probably like triple the cost. Anyway, it's just a side note we that got, uh, data, data is valuable yes. and uh, Drew is looking to potentially capitalize on that, but in a very beneficial In a limited way. way. Yeah. So here's the deal. So on, on our platform, there's free content provided to you because a bank sponsors you. And so the bank is getting a, a, some of the data, some of your activity data, so they can know how to service your needs. That's lead generation for them. But we don't share the data with anybody else. So we right. do not sell your data. We don't sell, and we never will. Because I, I find, um, well, for one, on our platform, the consumer can buy their own content and they own that content for life. And so because you're buying the content, some of it at least, there should be no reason to monetize your data. It's, that's double dipping, and I don't think that's ethical. However, there are cases where sharing your data can strengthen and benefit you. And one of those cases is in creating what's called FCRA, Compliant Data, or Fair Credit Reporting Act data, which feeds your credit file. And the advantage of feeding your credit file positive data attributes is it strengthens your credit score and reduces your interest rates. Right. So Drew's saying it, it, this is down the line, down but the line. if uh, they get this implemented, then let's say you are a 17-year-old. You're just kind of getting started with stuff. You're still in high school. You're about to go off to college. And, you know, you've got a really wise uncle. And he's like, you know what? You need some financial education in your life. And you could start on the program with Oinching and provide it when they have this implemented. So this may be you know, a couple of years down the road. Uh, but you could, in a way, start building your credit score without ever having a credit card Bingo. or anything. It's a driver's ed course. I exactly. So, yeah, just as a driver's ed course would right. potentially lower your uh, driver's insurance uh, premium, this would give you some sort of leg up on your credit without having to yeah. have credit. And, it, and it's not the main uh it's not the main business proposal. It's just something that having spent so many years inside a credit bureau, I understand how the system works and how files are created. And there's this potential sitting there. And so it's a case where sharing your data uh, is good for the consumer. And in that case, that makes sense to us. And that's the only case that that makes sense to us. If, if I'm not sharing the data that benefits consumers, we're not sharing the data, period. It's just an ethos that we have. In fact, Ted, you had an opinion on that when I first brought you on board. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a privacy guy, and I understand that some of your data is going to be collected and shared, but it, it all depends on who it goes to that makes it important. Like, we're collecting what you do on the platform on Oinching, and we only share it with your bank or credit union, whoever you sign up with. We're not tracking you around the web and seeing your browsing habits and your spending activity or anything like that. We share uh, or we collect only what you choose to to share with us, and that's basically how you interact with the site. You know what what you're you're interested in learning about, because that's the kind of thing your bank wants to know about. Like if you if you buy a course on home ownership or how to buy a house or how to work with a realtor. The bank will see that and say, hey, maybe this person wants a home loan if they're looking at buying a house. So they want to offer you a good home loan. It's things like that. We're not trying to advertise to you. And the bank's provided you a, a service already, right? And the bank's yeah. made this platform uh, cheaper for you and made courses available to you. And so it's a three-way trade and everybody's kind of balanced out. And that's the best long-term. And that's one of the big the big things here is that when you build a business strategy, is it short-term? Are you a pump and dump? Are you trying to build a product that you're going to sell 
as quickly as possible? Or are you trying to build a company that's going to be there 15 years from now, 20 years from now? And, and our objective is to create the company that, that we want our kids to run. And right. uh, that means you take very long-term focused approaches to a lot of the things that you do rather than short-term. And that's where the data, data privacy kind of plays a role. But that, was, that was kind of a tangent there. Yeah, so, it yeah. was. But I'm glad that we went down that road. Kind of gives our listeners an idea of more so what you're doing and where you're going with it. So, uh, yeah, just comprehensive financial literacy is what you can think of uh, when you think of Oinkching. Okay, so – I want to talk about where you were when we recorded in March of 2020 and where you are now. Oh, man. It's hard to even imagine. Um, in March 2020, the pandemic was just kicking off. It was in full flight, uh, which wasn't a huge big deal to me because we were working independent. I was pretty much by myself. So I had a, I had a lead developer. Uh, we had business requirements. We were supposedly working on it. Um, and when you say lead developer, you mean a guy that's writing code that's right. and getting your whole platform up and running, yeah. that, the user interface, all Picking that Picking services, of. designing, all that stuff. Right. So uh, we weren't moving real real quick on that front, and that was uh, a part of the part of the difficulty is, hey, I need, I need progress here. Uh, Rob, who I hopefully someday you guys will, will hear from Rob. Rob's a fascinating dude. He's our third partner, so we've got three co-founders here at Oinching. And uh, Rob was still full-time at his corporate gig. And so we were building content very sparingly, but I needed to raise capital. And so I ran a seed round, and I ran the seed round in, in kind of um, partials. I, I don't want to give away equity if I don't have to. So the goal is to raise just enough so that we can accomplish the next objective, whatever the next objective is. So we did. We went off and raised about $360,000 of capital, which sounds like a lot, but it's not. <laughs> not yeah, for, and you have to have specific purposes for the capital that you're raising. That's right. So when you go to your potential investors, you say, I need this amount of money to do X. Right. And you lay down all the risks and you say what you're going to do in the market potential. And the early investors are, are either people in your network or, or what's typically called angel investors. And they're angel investors because other than an idea, there's nothing else to invest in. What do you I, – I, I had this investor one time who, who did real estate investing, and he did not invest ultimately. And he kept asking me, well, what am I buying? What am I buying? What am I buying? You're buying the potential idea. you know, And that was just too abstract for him. So it's not for everybody. Uh, it's like on Shark Tank when the, the people pitch their idea, and then all the sharks are like, you don't have a business. Right, right. <laughs> and Shark Tank is very – most of those companies already have revenue. And so they're looking at the revenue and they're trying to size the value of the company. And the sharks all want to buy the company as cheaply as possible for whatever the company is worth today. And the investors all want to pitch and sell the company of what it could be worth. And so there's this, that's the battle that you're watching on Shark Tank. So at the time, I, we had nothing but an idea at a PowerPoint and we were building up some of the platform. That wasn't moving very quickly. And so since then – uh, that first developer, not the startup life is not for everybody. Uh, you you have to be self motivated. You have to make decisions. You have to live with those decisions. That sounds easy, but it's not because every decision closes twenty doors and opens two. And so you're in this ever increased risk, living with with the bed that you that you make type of situation, which which just isn't but simply isn't for everybody. And you can't think of your time in like what am I earning in time. You have to think about how much time do I have left. Right. So you're competing against this clock in your brain that's always going off. And, and so it kind of washed out and uh, that, that developer just wasn't, wasn't for him. He wasn't motivated enough to, to get it done and, and was having difficulty just making decisions. And that's where 
that's where I met Ted. Ted has no problem making decisions. It it's tough. Um, <laughs> it's tough. Yeah, it, <laughs> you can get gridlocked very easily because there's so many uh, choices when it comes to what libraries to use, where to host yeah. uh, the different parts of your application because you've got a back end and a front end. There's just a ton of services. You got Amazon Web Services, yep. which is huge right now. But yeah, I can. What, what can I get done for free first, so we can stretch this dollar a little bit? Right. Know? I can imagine Ted. So listeners, listening, you're th- thinking, what's a lead developer? Maybe Ted, you can kind of give our listeners more of an idea that somebody that doesn't have any coding experience or what? What in the world do you mean when you say lead developer and, and what your action? What would you say you actually do yeah, here? Good Ted? question. Thank <laughs> you, Tim, for asking that, Bob. Bob. Uh, so yeah, lead developer in this instance um, is kind of a misnomer because I'm in charge of everything to do with the platform uh, except for content. Drew and Rob are producing the content, and I'm putting it all in a framework that that presents it. So in in this Con, uh, in this context, I'm the front-end developer, which means I develop the the UI, the user interface, what you see when you go to a website. That's the styles, uh, the markup, which would be like HTML. I think most people have heard of that. Uh, basically, how the website looks is the UI, the front-end. And then I'm also doing the back-end, which is the the business data, uh, the logic, how, how the website decides what information needs to be sent to your computer. It also does all the math for all the simulator stuff. So there's money involved. There's a credit score involved. Well, there's fake money involved for the simulator. Let me be clear about that. We're, we're not giving you free money in the checking account. It's yeah, all and we're, when we're talking about content, the the program, all these things that we're talking about with Oinching. So there's an actual financial simulator where they're giving you, this is your bank account. This is how much money you have. These are the decisions that you have to make. These are the bills that you have to pay. These are the potential investments. So you can imagine that there is a ton to think through about how these variables manipulate what you're doing. So Ted's having to figure out everything. Like if you see one thing on the front end, there's 30 things on the back end that are making that work. Would that be accurate? Yeah, and a lot of that data has in some way has to interact like you're you're whenever you make a we have this thing called the discretionary tab and that's where you can like pick your fund money right because we want people to get used to uh, setting aside some money to to spend on themselves and not just pay bills all the time because you'll just go crazy so when that happens you you buy something that you're interested in because you select your you know interest whether it's like cars or movies or video games and then something is bought sim- in a simulated way and that comes out of your checking account uh, when you make an investment in our investors tab, our, our what's it called? Investments brokerage tab. Brokerage. In our brokerage tab, um, then that money comes out. If you're doing it out of your liquid fund, it comes out of your checking account. And then the next week, some of those stocks might make money, so you can cash those out. And all these things are, are constantly talking to each other from and from week to week too. So that that's what the back end does. And then as well as that, uh, those things have to live somewhere. So there needs to be a dev environment that's only on my computer uh, where I can make changes safely without affecting the live site and test things out and add new features and remove old code. And then I've got to, to put that on the, the Internet somewhere. So the front end lives somewhere, the back end lives somewhere, and our database lives somewhere. And picking all those is, is hard. That's like a DevOps is what that's called. So, so in big companies, back end, front end, UI, logic, database, those are typically 
different people. It's like people. a thousand people. That's right. It's a bunch of different people. But there's a term called full stack developer who's somebody who can do it all. Jack of all, king of none. Right. And better than most. (laughs) Boom. And uh, and the difficulty in starting up a company that's Internet based is that you have to find a full stack because it you have to pay for all these heads or someone who says, I bet I can figure that out. Oh, my God. And that's what Drew found, uh, because I was typically a front end developer. I have done some things that are more back end oriented. But that's when I got hired, I was always hired as a front end developer. And you learn things along the way. And you, when you work on a new feature, you usually work with a back-end developer. So uh, they help you learn stuff, and you teach them about the front end. They teach you about the back end. And then it usually ends up with them saying, I hate CSS. And anyone listening who is a back-end developer will probably agree with that. But when Drew pitched me what it was that he wanted to build, I was like, that sounds really fun. I bet I can figure that out. And I'd, that's what it's been a learning process. And I love learning things. So I was it's like, this the, is perfect uh, for me. The ultimate you can man spirit because right. you're, you had to learn all this stuff yourself. And you, you said, well, I have friends that do this and they can do it. So I can do it too and figured it out. And I'm sure it involved a lot of uh, research and watching YouTube videos and whatnot. A lot of docs reading, a lot of uh, YouTube video watching. And the best part is, uh, yes, I do have lots of friends who are back-end developers, but I I decided to pick a technology that none of them use. So Really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I I really like the the front-end or the JavaScript framework, Vue.js. And I'd used that before in, um, in other jobs. And it just makes, it makes the front-end a lot of fun. Uh, and then there are ways that it interacts with the back-end. And it does some of the the back end heavy lifting for you, but how much like I, I was wondering future proofing something like this, any kind of thing like software technology, something when you're building this, are you thinking I'm going to have to redo all this in about five years or are you building it in such a way that new technology comes around that you should be able to piggyback off of that and move it over, migrate everything over to something? Like, how in the world does that work? You know, I guess what I'm getting at is, are you going to look at your code in five years from now and kick yourself for not doing something that you should have to make your life easier to then migrate it to something else? Yes. And that, I mean, I'm, I'm doing my best to uh, think in a future, uh, you can't really future proof with software, but it's a well-supported project, so there's updates for it all the time. You need to keep your code up to date, and then you need to write the code, or you keep your dependencies up to date, and you write your code in the most flexible way possible. When I write a feature, I think, well, we may add this other part in the future, so I need to, to do it in this way to make it more flexible. Like I said earlier, things talk to each other in the back end, but you need to make keep them flexible enough that if they need to talk to something else, they can, and one thing doesn't ruin the other, and you want to have like a single source of truth for your data. You don't want to have different copies of it and have to update all those copies when something on the website changes. So there's no there's no five years if we don't build now, right? Right. So called, there's a term called technical debt, and the technical debt is is all the things that go that you know that you have to do, but you're not going to do now. And so you're just building up this technical debt over time. And big companies get so focused on their technical debt and worrying about their technical debt. But there is today and there's tomorrow. And today is worth more than tomorrow. And so as a business person, that's called discounted time. Five years from now, if we're still around five years from now, we've been successful. So we have capabilities that we don't have today. So one of the things that we're assessing as a small team, Rob does all the video. Ted does all the development. 
I do everything else and a little bit of, of whatever I can do uh, is assessing your weaknesses. You're a small team and Rob's got strengths in some areas. The, the last video that just came out, which was my favorite, the, the last vlog, we have a YouTube channel, uh, Oink Ching on YouTube. Nobody else has got that name, so you're safe. Just type in Oink Ching, you'll find us. And it'll say, did you mean Oinking? No, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it does for me. It's adorable. Yeah. Uh, and our last one was on a cartoonist. A local cartoonist who did a poster for us and he's a Marietta guy. So we did this, this commission piece and learned about his story and what motivated him and how he's trying to make a living doing this. His name is Justin Simmons from Mind Invader Comics. There you go. Just to give him a shout out. It's Good really book. awesome work. Good book. And Rob crushed it. I mean, Rob did some of the best work I've ever seen Rob do. Yeah, I was actually watching it with my wife, and I was like, did you see that? Yeah, that that took a lot of time. Because I know I've done done a little bit of video work, and so I know – like all these different shots that he's doing and all the graphics. Even, even if you're using templated uh, design stuff, which exists, and I'm sure Rob use, uses some of it, even if you're doing that, it's still incredibly time consuming. Mm-hmm. So I, I realized how much time went into that. And, and so the point, you know, Rob has got a talent in short form documentary. Like he's just so good at that, which is one of the ways that we produce vlogs is we go find an interesting person. We tell their story via video. It's time consuming. It takes them seven to 10 days to set up the shot, to shoot, to do all the editing, to do all the, but he's great at it. Right. So there's this strength. We got this strength. Right. But for every strength, you have a weakness. And so for all of us, it's like, all right, when we add the fourth person, the fifth person, the sixth person to the team, what is it that we can build upon? Right. And for Ted, it might be back end because the strength is front end. For me, it's an accountant or a sales rep or a better looking person just in general, you know, with a better beard, maybe <laughs> anything. There's a lot to improve. You're so far the the uh, person that you when people are watching videos of your content, you're the basically the front man for it. So you're saying maybe down the road that's somebody else. I don't know. We are doing that. So the next the next course we're producing, we're bringing in experts in their field because we're starting to get into areas that are beyond you know my expertise. I, you shouldn't listen to me right. about real estate when I can get a real estate agent to talk to you. So we're always assessing our weakness and what's the next thing. And five years from now. There might be half a dozen developers in there and, and they have strengths that we don't possess today. So, yeah, we might be producing technical debt or or not able to future-proof, but we will be a different company five years from now and we'll be able to handle it differently. Yeah, and to, to finish answering that about five years from now, yes, I'm sure there's something I'm going to find that I'm like, that was dumb. I don't know why I did it that way. But the goal is to not have 50 of those things, you know, right. that, as little as possible by, by thinking about the way you're writing code. Right. You're making an investment in this platform that you're using. So you you are banking, like you mentioned, they're always updating it. Well, there may come a time where they don't, right? So you are banking on the fact that they will hopefully, they're a strong enough platform that you're using to do all your coding and all this kind of stuff that they're going to be around in five years and they will have updated all of this stuff. So talk to us about, and, and actually this kind of ties into uh, a little bit, Drew, with uh, you having to let go your other lead developer. He didn't quite work out. I guess you didn't let him go. He kind of parted ways yeah, on his yeah. own, sort of. It was his choice. Uh, but choosing both people to work uh, for your startup and then also the platforms and the te- the uh, technology that you're going to use, how are you going going about making those decisions because they have massive ramifications? I, I guess more so we're, we're going to talk about, you know, personnel, like, you know, how do you decide 
who to partner with. Yeah. So, you know, this is fun, funny because uh, when you're making decisions, there's, there's kind of two sides of the brain that you're using. When you're making tactical decisions about systems or things, you always use this MVP style. And one of the things I tell the guys is don't make decisions until you have to, which is it seems counterintuitive. But all the time you have to gather information you should use up until the point where you no longer have that time. And then you make a decision. There's, there's an inflection point in which a decision must be made now or it'll cost you greater than the failure to make that decision. And you've gathered what information you can. Now, sometimes that inflection point is really early and sometimes it's not. And so, I, you know, we had this inflection point on, on developers and I didn't the first developer chose to go of his own volition. Uh, he opted out, but it was a decision that came about because I said, "I, you know, we're not." Making, Ted did in two weeks what took my last developer four months. Perspective. I just want our listeners to know that I connected Drew with Ted. He did. Just kind of want to establish that. Yeah, you, you sent me a text. It said, <laughs> "My my buddy uh, Drew Schultons is going to be reaching out to you about some potential work. He's worth your time. Don't mind his personality." <laughs> <laughs> no, he didn't. He didn't put that last part. Uh, he gave me no warning. No warning. We were talking about all sorts of crazy. Things. We were at McCracken's until like midnight. Yeah, we we talked it's about a local Vikings. Irish pub for you guys that are not in the Atlanta area. McCracken's. That's where they went. Yeah. yeah. So the uh, uh, so it's always make decisions when you have to, and this is no matter what you can, man. You don't have to win today. All you have to do is build the. A block, right? To take one step forward and you don't have to make all the decisions a day and you're under pressure constantly to do that, but you don't have to. It's got to be on your timing. When If you're renovating your kitchen, you don't have to put the cabinets in today. Today, you just need to investigate the cabinets or today you just need to rip out the floor. You know, you do things one step at a time and you don't become overwhelmed with all the different steps. That's the first thing. Yeah. the the That's a huge part of getting stuff done with programming is how can I break this down to the smallest piece possible? Um, because when you came to me with your idea, well, your mock-up was in Excel. You had drawn out the website. Um, it sounds crazy, but it, it worked pretty well. That's like hilarious. I didn't it. know that. You did that in Excel because my wife is like an Excel kind of whiz, and she'll do um, bathroom layouts for our bathroom renovation in Excel. Yeah. So, I mean, it was what I was comfortable with. And so I, and we still have a copy of it to this day. Oh yeah. I'm not, I'm not getting rid of that. It's adorable. It's like, you know, someday we'll do an NFT on that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That'll be, still be around and viable. Yeah. Uh, I'll eat my words if I'm wrong. Yeah. There you go. And so, uh, there is there, that's the first thing is, is you break things into small pieces. You, you just make decisions when you have to. Uh, and, and this is difficult because you're always under pressure to make decisions. Now people will ask you questions and if you don't have an answer, they'll think, well, you're not real, but you can't make timing you know, other people's timing, your timing. You've got to make your own timing. That's the first thing. Secondly, when picking people, this is big. I like to establish trust a bit at a time. So when I establish a relationship, it's like, okay, I'm going to start small and I'm going to give you something small and I'm going to, and I'm going to talk about what I need and I'm going to see if you switch sides of the table and I'll do the same thing. And so I'm having endless difficulties finding good lawyers because I'll speak to them about what we desire at length, at nauseum. Um, and they'll agree to everything, absolutely everything. And then the minute you take your eyes off them, they do what they want anyway, and they bill you. And you have to say, well, you didn't, you didn't do what I asked you to do. And there's no trust. And we, and we work through vendors this way. I work with co-founders this way. You give small things and you build up trust. And as you, as you build up trust, you give bigger and bigger things. So with Rob, it started off with videos and we did a couple of videos and, and we just built up slowly our trust levels and we learned to work with each other and, and what he desired and what he needed from life. When I, when I managed to convince him to leave his very safe, you know, Rob is a, is a photojournalist and a professor of photography 
and a leader of photography uh, uh, groups. So that's what his professions have been for 25 years. So he's been in education, uh, public school education, and newspapers for 20 years. That is a totally different culture than being out on your own. And I had to understand that he was taking a massive risk. He had a very safe job at the local university in here uh, with pension and the whole nine yards. And for him, coming from newspapers, safety was worth something because he knew what it was like to watch a 20-person team come down to one person over a decade. He watched it in newspapers. And so I under, I had to understand what he was giving up and, and the world from his perspective before I could put a deal out there that was good enough for him to follow me. And same thing for Ted, you know, what what Ted desired and needed, I needed to understand how Ted was thinking and the same thing for all of our vendors. And so when I engage in a business relationship, it starts off with like, who is, who is this person I'm doing business with? What motivates them? What's their value? And how do I make a deal that's good for both of us? If I don't get that in reciprocation, I know this isn't somebody I should trust. And I, and I'm, I usually don't, by the way, the vast majority of people think about what they want. I don't know if this is a cultural norm, but it's, you know, got to get mine. You know, go get yours, girl. It's just this idea that that you've got to take whatever you desire. Nobody's going to give it to you. Well, that's bad business. You need to find the people who know how to craft a deal that's good for everybody and do business with them. And we're working. We're good. The three of us are on a really good place right now. But it took some negotiating between the three of us before we were comfortable with everything. Um, but now we're on that same quest for vendors. You know, who are our vendors going to be, and who's going to build the trust? Who's going to listen and make a good deal that's good for everybody? And who's and who's not? And if yeah. not, move on quickly. Right. And I was going to mention too. I know that, and we obviously won't go into specifics on this, but you gave. Both Rob and Ted, your partners, equity in the business as part of a major incentive to jump ship and start with well, you. That makes them partners, not employees. Yeah, so exactly. We're co-founders. I mean, that's what we are. The three of us are in this thing together, and we sink or swim. You do like to say, "I work for you," though. What? We're that we're not employees or partners, but you do like to say, "Yeah, Ted works for me." Yeah. Well, and I go, no, I work with Drew. You know, he's <laughs> he's uppity. He's real uppity. So you got to knock him down every once in a while. Yeah, we we keep each other in check because it's a very interesting work work uh, workforce. I called him the other day and I was like, uh, ask him about doing something, and and I said, it's not like I'm going to bug you. Like, when do I ever call to bug you? You, you kind of do your own thing. I mean, he makes almost all the decisions on the platform, and he can do it without me if he wants to. Because in a in a startup world, you've got to be you're dependent on each other, and so you've got to trust each other. And that comes through time and productivity. I've, I've seen what he can build. I've seen what Rob can build. And so you begin to trust their decisions and trust their brain a little bit. That doesn't mean we yeah, don't there, talk about there's things. There's no reason to, to bog each other down with the, the small details. Right. Like our brains are full trying to work on the things that we're responsible for. And we give each other major updates. You say, I talked to these this many banks today and I have a, a meeting on Tuesday with X bank. Awesome. That's great to hear. If you were to break down every call and tell me all the good and bad points, like I would never get anything done. And vice versa, if I told you about every little bug I fixed or this, uh, hey, hey, I choose, I, I chose a new uh, JavaScript package that we're going to put in. It's actually going to cut our code down 18 lines. It's like, yeah. I don't, I don't care. What's JavaScript? Yeah. So yeah. it's one of the things I did it, when we started the sales. So we're live. We're in beta. You can go to the oinching.com right now and check us out. Log on. In fact, if you log on right now, you get a $30 account credit. So you can go on and you can purchase curriculum. Um, and we have our first contracts out with a couple banks that are reviewing the contract, which is really exciting for us. We're on the cusp of that first signing, which is a we'll pop some champagne bottles, probably a beer. I mean, we're not champagne people, beer. But I knew that what I was doing in my room wasn't something they could see. I can see everything Rob makes. I can see everything Ted makes. 
but they couldn't see what I was doing. So I, I built a sales pipeline report, which had all, you know, number of leads, contacts, all that stuff. And, and after I complete a week that I actually do sales activity, I will literally uh, image that and put it on our Slack and, and show them here's the progress and here's what's going on. So they can feel that I'm, that I'm doing something. Yeah, right. For those listeners who don't know, he mentioned Slack and it's just a uh, platform to collaborate with people and leave company notes. chat. Company chat. Company yeah. chat. Yeah. So that's uh, it's you're building the trust, right? They need to know that I'm working too. Probably post COVID happening, uh, most people are, are yeah, a lot more people are true. familiar with Slack that's and true. Zoom now. You just never know. So it, I, it was weird to see people like, "What is Zoom? Zoom? Zoom just came out of nowhere. What is Zoom? I've been using Zoom for five years before COVID. Yeah. Every day of my life, it's strange. It's strange to to see things that you know that other people don't, and then vice versa. Right? Like you learn something new, and people are like, "You didn't know that?" It's like. No, I'm, I don't know everything. Right. It, I, I just kind of answer it by saying it's Skype, but it's not Skype. It's Skype that works. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Okay, practical uh, little question, or not question, I guess. Tell us about where your office is, because this is a whole interesting <laughs> oh, story. Boy. We're actually not allowed to talk about it. Yeah, this is federal <laughs> top secret clearance. Um, yeah, so we <laughs> – I am – uh, I like to say I'm thrifty, but sometimes... We like to say he's cheap. Yeah. What Drew is about to explain just plays perfectly into the fact that he has started a fintech startup company yeah. that has to do with financial literacy. Yeah. So I was, I was cruising the, the boards looking for commercial real estate that we could use as office space. And I was... And this I, was this was pre-COVID, too. 2019. So we're not talking like... 2019. Yeah. A bunch of yeah. uh, commercial real estate that's just sitting there. This yeah. was before that. And I came across this office. It was a house, the white Cape Cod style office, really nice looking. Uh, and the landlord was the Office of Veteran Affairs. And I thought, wow. And the price point was was really affordable. And I thought, interesting story. I'll reach out and find out what the deal is here. So I, I reached out to the Office of Veteran Affairs and, and went through what ultimately turned out to be a 14, maybe 15-month process. But our office is the old graveyard keeper's house inside the Federal Cemetery in downtown Marietta. And so we literally drive into a graveyard every day into a house uh, that's parked right there. It's a 100-year-old house this year. Uh, and, and the cemetery is a U.S. soldier. So it's a federal cemetery. National. Run. National, right. And it was started in 1866. And We're seated. surrounded by uh, 19,000. Is that how many are in there? Mm-hmm. It's amazing. And, and we've thus made friends with the local historians. So we've learned all the history of the area, which I already was fascinated with prior to being in there. And uh, and it's an interesting experience. I it's, it's still really affordable. So it's great for us because it's, it's cheap. But – And it's really quiet. It's very quiet. And here's the here's the best cheap thrifty thing with Drew. He he said earlier that he looked it up. He's like, that's a very good price. He uh, he negotiated it down lower. I did. I, did. I negotiated it down lower. Um, and we've got great incentives to take over the whole space. And it's really it's it's fantastic in a lot of ways. But you also have to realize that your landlord's primary business is not being your landlord. And so we have to be aware of the fact that it's a federal cemetery, and there are just certain things that are more important than our day of business. And so they have funerals in there still. And when we get a heads up about that, we just clear out and give them the space. In in the cemetery, not not in the house. Not in the house. Not in but the house. they do use like our – where we park is also where they set up the podium and, and yeah. chairs and things for the for the family. Yeah. Uh, I About once a day, somebody comes into the office, just walks in, 
hey, and starts to ask about the cemetery in the area. And you just be polite. These are usually veterans or family members of veterans who are looking for a gravestone of a great, great grandpa or father. And so uh, I just kindly explain we're, we're leases, but here's what I do know. You know, there's a sheet right there. There's a form there. You can call this person. He's a historian. And, and uh, you just give a great deal of grace because you know that you're just a cog in a much larger wheel. And what you get out of it is cheap real estate that you can do your business that's quiet and on a block away from downtown Marietta. But you have to also be grace-filled and allow the Office of Veteran Affairs to do what they need to do. Today, they're cutting down trees in the cemetery, so it's not quiet. That's fine. That's, it's a cemetery first. It's a it's our office building second. And we have headphones, which really helps. Yeah, it's not a big deal. So we've made it, we've made it work, but we are a, a fintech company in a graveyard. Yeah, I actually toured the inside of this place the very, I think it was the very first time that Drew saw it. And the place had been empty since, was it the late, it was the Clinton administration. 97. 97. So there is like peeling paint and all this stuff. And there's this photo of uh, uh, President Clinton up on, above the, uh, on the mantle there. It was just really, really weird, like this weird time capsule going on. But I just thought it was super interesting that the federal government is doing it because they're doing this across the country in other cemeteries. There's all these cemeteries that are kind of almost filled, but they're they're still kind of burying people. But they had the grave keeper's yeah. house, and it's still there, so, and then they're using you know, it to four. To was it four of them fell in in 2019? They lost three or four three of them. Four. Yeah, they're probably not terribly proud of that. But the the point is, if you want space to be protected, you have to use it. And by giving yeah. people incentive to use it, they take care of it. So if you want to – these are all historical landmarks. They're, they're automatically historical landmarks because they're inside a federal cemetery. There's, I think, 50 some odd, 56, 59 of these kind of houses within federal cemeteries. And if they – if the government wants to keep them uh, functional and usable, then they need to fill them full of tenants. And that might be weird, but it's what works. And so that was the goal of this uh, Office of Veteran Affairs policy was get these things filled with job creators that can help veterans. Uh, and they, they focus a lot on minority and, and women-based businesses. We are not one of those, but we do have a, a veterans angle and we create jobs and, and we're good tenants. So it were, it's a win-win ultimately. You know, a business gets a interesting space affordably, creates jobs, uh, blesses their community, and the government gets spaces that will be protected for as long as those leases are in there. So it is a, it is a uh, rare win-win for everybody. Yeah. So if you're in the Marietta, Georgia area, you drive past, it's off Washington Avenue, you drive past the gorgeous National Cemetery right there. Uh, that White House in there is Drew and Ted and Rob's office. So kind of cool. I wanted to make sure we told that story because when we recorded last time, you were not in there. No, nope. you, you'd started negotiations, I guess, with them. But that was five months in already. At that yeah, point. there was work to be done that they had to do before you got in there. And so uh, it's a cool space, and yeah, I think feel, it's feel super free to stop by. I mean, we have Wi-Fi and couches. So yeah, you can say hi. Yeah, that'd be cool. How big? Are, how many people watch this podcast? <laughs> uh, zero, because it's it's audio experience. No yeah. one's watching. No it. one's watching. This, yeah, yeah, this okay, is great. Yeah. Well, good deal. I uh, one last question: If I have you back on, which I probably will, if I if I have you back on in a year from now, what are your hopes of where you're going to be with the startup company? Yeah, great question. So, we um, oh man, so we we came a long way in a year. We raised capital. We, the three founders came in full time. We're full time now. We've got our office space. We've built the tool. We're in market right now. The first contracts are out, waiting to be signed. Um, that those could happen any minute. A year from now, optimally, we would have 
probably 12-ish banks on the platform, uh, starting to get a little bit of publicity. You know, I'm, I'm selling into a really uh, risk-adverse industry and uh, doing something new. But once you get those initial customers on board and they prove the model, then there's a lot of, oh, that works and it's easy. Let's do it. And that's what it is. I mean, it's, it's for the bank's credit units to onboard, it's really easy. For consumers to be on, it's really easy. It's real straightforward. Everything is built around the idea of simplicity and maximized value. So it's one of those things where, you know, 12 months from now, if we're back on, my hope is that we're we're more than breaking even, that there's a fourth, fifth, maybe even a sixth employee uh, with the team. Yeah, and I'm hoping to have someone hired who's smarter than me. Yeah, that's, agreed. That's my goal with hiring. Yeah. Uh, or at least Mine too. Much, much better and- yeah, Smarter than Ted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know, man. It's it's a high bar. No. Oh. I, I have a lot of blind spots in the back end, and it'd be good to have somebody who, like, I can catch their spots in the front end and vice versa. I did the math- Last week, I've written 14,000 lines of code just for the front end. Yeah. And at some point, you need somebody else to help you code review that and to add features and yeah. to, to remove old crap, like I talked about earlier. Like, it's getting, uh, it's getting up there. And yeah. for a, a one-man show on, on the dev team, quote-unquote team, it would be great to have a, a couple people there. I just want to see the team grow in the next yeah. year. Yeah. We've got a you know, we got a lot of goals that we have for team building and culture building, but that takes more than just the three of us. We can incubate it, but you know, you expand beyond non co founders and, and and so that would be the goal for a year from now. And I think I think we're gonna do it. I mean I I've been selling this product now for about Eleven weeks, and uh, it's getting awesome receptions. I mean, the the banks, credit unions, and consumers that I talked to about this are like, "Yeah, I need I need this now. This would be awesome." Uh, and so we're on the we're on the cusp. It feels like we're all just uh, there's a bunch of a bunch of banks on the line waiting for the first one to jump in. Right? It's like uh, you ever watch those African safari uh, documentaries, and all the all the wildebeests get right on the with the water's edge, you know, and the first one has to jump and not be eaten by a crocodile, and then the rest of them go. That's where we are. We're right. We're right on the cusp of this whole thing blowing up, uh, and we just need the first wildebeest to, to jump. And when that happens, you know, we talked about picking vendors uh, that that you value, and uh, the same thing goes for customers. You're gonna have some customers that really create enormous value, and some that really don't. And that first customer to jump on board with us is gonna be forever burned in our memories as the wildebeest that took the risk with us, and uh, we'll go to hell and back for them. So we're we're right right there. And Drew said banks a lot. Credit unions, we love you guys too. So, you know, you come take <laughs> yeah. the plunge too. Yeah, and I, I know we mentioned this earlier, but you don't have to go. At, at their stage they're at now, they're in a beta phase. And so if you are interested in what they're doing, you can go right now to oinkching.com. So think piggy bank. We should have said that before. Uh, oinkching, pig, piggy bank, you get it oinkching.com and you can sign up for their beta version of their platform. Yeah, I'm checking us on YouTube, man. We can, you can hear all about our story and see us uh, doing our thing and it's a good time. We we take a lot of time to build that YouTube channel as well. Oh yeah, tons of great content on there and I'm always like, ah, I wish more people were seeing this and so We'll get there. If, if your listeners go check out their channel on YouTube. And like Drew said, they're the only Oink Ching on there. So you should find them pretty easy. There's no Chinese fort freight forwarding company yet named Oink Ching. I feel like that's <laughs> going to be the day. It's going to come from somewhere. Some of the Oink's going to mean something. We, we had a scare at one moment where we thought it meant something in a different language. And we were like, oh, oh but we, we're good. It doesn't mean anything in any languages that we've discovered thus far. Uh, it, it's certainly out there as a, as a company name. But you know what? That's the point is to be totally different. When you were explaining the concept of what you wanted to do, 
at McCracken's and then you told me the name. I was like, oh, oh, all right. Yeah, <laughs> it takes a minute. <laughs> but but I, you know what? I I never forgot the name. Uh, so it's it's super sticky. And whenever I they're like people I talk to are like, hey, what are you doing now? I was like, all right, listen, I'm with a startup. I didn't name it. <laughs> I tell them what it's called. I was like, but. You won't forget. And you, next time they see me, usually even if it's like a couple months, hey, how's Oingching going? So right. it's, yeah, it's would, a sticky name. Yeah, I would. Uh, I remember talking about this when I had you on the show last. And we um, there's tons of company names that sound completely ridiculous, but they're household names, and you just you just say it. I mean, it, you, you don't think anything different. You know, and there's a ton of names out there for companies Google. that are huge. Yeah, and they have totally no, like boring names, and you never heard of them. This is true. So, yeah. Distributed dynamics. Bingo. Yeah, something like that. All right, guys, thanks so much for coming uh, on the show, Ted. Um, glad that you could come along. You know, uh, we didn't ask you where you are on the DIY scale. I asked Drew last time, but I always try to do that for guests. So, if you want to answer that, where are you on the DIY scale, one to 10? I just changed the motor in my car, would be like a 10, or I just built a house, would be a 10. And one's like, I just, Never picked up a hammer. I own tools. Uh, I, tools. I would say that I'm. I'm not a ten. I'm a can't. I can't build a house. But I would you say, can, I'm like, man. What? Sorry. Well, you <laughs> you're asking me to rate myself and then tell me. I know. I'm a, I know. Uh, he broke into uh, a safe. I I did break into a safe, but that's that's more destruction than construction. Um, I take it back. I didn't break anything. I you guess. didn't break nothing. Yeah, that's yeah, it. That's yeah, it. Totally I, I figured it out. I figured it out. Check it out. It's on the YouTube channel. About a six, two to seven. Like I've okay. done some pretty heavy stuff in in the house. We've done drywall. We've renovated the kitchen, torn out the cabinets, and put new ones in. This is with a lot of help. Like my father-in-law. I've seen photos. Is, it looks great. Is a, a, a huge help to to stuff like that. But you know, with with the internet and people you know, you can usually figure out how to do something. Yeah, I, with I the love proper know-how and help from your friends, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Is that the tagline? <laughs> I, feel, I feel like that was a setup right there. Yeah. Yeah, I felt like, but I, right. I, as a programmer, I love making stuff, and sometimes that translates to uh, I'm going to use real I, stuff. I'm going to say IRL. I'm going to use nerd nerd. All uh, oh, right, in real life, initialisms. Sorry, that's not an acronym. I almost said acronym. Right. But yeah, I, I, that translates to the real world, real world too. I like to to make things, and uh, we picked out a house in 2016 that needed a lot of work, so. I've I've done tiles and by the way I hate subway tile. Hire someone to do subway tile for you. It's it's terrible. It's small. It takes forever, but you know we can do it. Nice. All right, good deal, guys. Thanks so much for sticking around and listening. Uh, if you want to reach out to Drew, uh, Drew, what's the best way to get in touch? Just go to the website or lots of options. Info? Yeah, lots of options. LinkedIn. I'm still on there for now. We've had an ongoing battle with LinkedIn. Uh, YouTube channel. You can make a comment. Andrew at oinking You can find me that way as well. I'm I'm a pretty available dude at the moment. So if you got something to say to me, say it. All right, sounds good. We'll catch you guys next time. 